Welcome to another edition of American Bankruptcy Institute Podcasts. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. Today we continue with a series of podcasts on the fallout from the bursting of the housing bubble. A recent New York Times headline captured the trends quite well. Quote, no aid or rebound in sight, the headline reads, more homeowners just walk away, unquote. After three years of plunging real estate values, and after the Obama administration's loan modification plan raised the expectations of many but satisfied only a few, a large group of distressed homeowners are engaging in what some view is a rational decision to strategically default. New research suggests that when a home's value falls below 75% of the amount owed on the mortgage, the owner starts to think hard about walking away, even if he or she has the money to keep paying. The reality is that many are well below that threshold figure. In a situation without precedent in the modern era, millions of Americans are in this bleak position, and the number grows each month. Whether or how to help them is one of the biggest questions the administration confronts as it frantically seeks a housing policy that would contribute to the national recovery. Our guest today is among those who say it's quite sensible to walk away from a home obligation you can't afford. Richard Zahm is a lender and portfolio manager based in Connecticut and California, California being ground zero of the walkaway phenomena. He recently wrote a provocative piece in the BNA Bankruptcy Law Reporter, making the rational case for default by the hopelessly underwater homeowner. And he joins us today to discuss the issue. Welcome, Richard, to ABI Podcast. Very happy to be with you. First, uh, Richard, can you give us a sense of the scope of the number of homeowners affected? How many are significantly underwater right now, and how many of that group are willing to take the extra step of uh, what's come to be known as jingle mail, simply sending the keys back to the lender? Well, there, there are a variety of figures on this, depending on, on who you look at. Uh, I've seen one figure of 10 million uh, homeowners who are currently underwater. Uh, Mark Zandi at e- e- uh, economy.com pegs it about 16 million. And Deutsche Bank gives projections that the figure by the uh, first quarter of 2011 could uh, increase to 40%, which would mean that uh, nearly uh, one out of two homeowners will be underwater by that time with their homes uh, uh, being worse, worth less than, than uh, the amount of their outstanding mortgage. And, and how can we uh, calculate or project out how many uh, are, are willing to take that extra step of walking away? Well, the, the figures from people who are very close to this, who are involved, or actually provide uh, some type of advisory services or counsel to uh, prospective walkaways, are pegging it right now at around 20%. So homeowners who are, who are 20% or more uh, underwater are, are most likely to, to walk. A lot of this going forward also will depend on, on how fast uh, they, or basically the rate of increase uh, or the rate of recovery that uh, home prices will experience over the next uh, uh, several years, as well as the basic state of the economy as well. Let's uh, 
try to define our population here in terms of uh, a strategic default. Is it uh, a matter of someone who has the ability to struggle to make the payment, but rationally concludes there's no point given all their other debt obligations? Yeah, that, that's a, the, the thrust of it. Well, interestingly, it, it, it comes not so much from the ability to pay, although that, that, that's a huge factor, particularly given the high unemployment figures. Uh, the decision to, to walk, or what's happening now, basically, is to just stop paying and wait for the sheriff to appear on the doorstep. Uh, the rationale there is more the fact that uh, uh, people uh, don't want to uh, uh, throw more good money after bad. Uh, they're also able to kind of uh, shift in their own mind the, the fault or the responsibility uh, to someone else, typically to the bank. Um, but frequently, the, the trigger point for this isn't the traditional uh, life event that has caused people to no longer pay their mortgage. So, uh, say, the, the loss of a job or a divorce or a serious illness. Instead, it's really uh, a backlash of the treatment that they are, are receiving from the lenders or from the servicers that they're, they're in contact as they do attempt to uh, modify their loans. And do you see another wave of this coming uh, based on the prospective uh, resets and recasts of all day and other exotic mortgage products that are projecting to be um, readjusted anywhere from later this year through uh, through 2012, which might encourage even more strategic defaults? Definitely. I think there, there are several factors that, that will, will come into play here. First, if you look at the figures of, of it, the, most, the most rapid uh, increase in, uh, um, in, in loan lates, or basically you know, payments that aren't being made, come from, first, the Alt-A mortgages, the adjustable rate mortgages. Uh, but we're seeing that Prime, and particularly Jumbo, which are, are the larger loans, right. are, uh, this is, is no longer just a, limited to the, the subprime right. borrowers. So... Uh, what I find very interesting, but you know, the most interesting element here is basically from the social level, which will be at what point does it does it no longer is there no negative stigma attached, uh, you know, in to to basically walking away? When will this become the norm, and uh, at what point will this will it be basically a critical mass uh, in which I'm kind of viewing viewing it as, or describing it as the shrug, people shrugging and saying, mm-hmm. you know, this is no longer my uh, someone else is going to have to deal with it. In the meantime, I'm just not going to pay. Uh, this is becoming, well, depending on where you look at this in, in the U.S., this is more of the, the norm or there, there's less negative stigma attached to it. In California, for example, uh, they're finding that their pockets or neighborhoods where strategic defaults or foreclosures seem to, to, to pop out with greater frequency uh, than, than in other neighborhoods. So I've been looking at, okay, what are the characteristics of these particular areas? You know, is there a certain demographic or a certain borrower profile or a certain dollar amount um, that uh, lenders could then look at and, and think or, or be able to analyze and say, you know, uh, we're far more likely to have some defaults here. We should take become more proactive in this zip code or in this particular uh, uh, census tract, for example. Mm-hmm. Florida is another example of, of uh, or is another area where defaults are occurring at a, at a much faster clip. In contrast, here in the Northeast, 
people that I've talked to about the notion of strategic defaults are, are generally appalled at the concept. Mm-hmm. It's a much more conservative mindset, and the use or the use of residential real estate as an investment uh, was was relatively different than it was in the fast growth areas of uh, the western states in, in Florida. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about those uh, impacts or costs, if you will. Uh, in the high uh, default states, uh, you, you mentioned uh, pockets um, uh, where uh, this strategy, uh, if you will, is, uh, is is prevalent. Obviously, there are costs to the individual in terms of their uh, credit rating and the like. But what about the uh, impact on neighborhoods and communities where walkaways are common? Uh, what's the what's the effect there? Uh, well, well, addressing the first element, I, I think there is evidence to show, and again, I, I'm just quoting, uh, or a great source of information is uh, John Maddox. He was running a company called uh, YouWalkAway.com right. in San Diego. <laughs> he's, he's done over 5,000, you know, he's helped, helped over 5,000 homeowners with this. Uh, in terms of the credit rating, uh, the figures that I've seen, yeah, uh, are basically you are better off walking away than you are uh, following the traditional route, which is uh, uh, trying to get the attention of a subservicer saying that you would like to modify the loan, uh, not sending in payment after they, they advise you to do this. Uh, you know, the, the first 90 days when you're doing everything you're supposed to do, your credit's taking a, a, a horrific hit. Uh, so that you know, it's, it's arguable that you're much better off just that. Uh, making a very fast cut instead of kind of uh, uh, amputating by a thousand, <laughs> a thousand slices, as it, as it were. In terms of, of the impact on the communities and the neighborhoods, I, it, it's not, there's not a critical mass uh, yet that, that's been created so that you've suddenly got, I don't know, a subdivision necessarily where everyone has joined in at a barbecue saying, you know, on, on Monday, I'll, let's all stop paying our mortgage at the same time. Uh, if you look at the figures, I, I, I look at it in terms of what's the impact of a, on a community or a neighborhood psychologically, because, you know, let's not look at the properties, whether or not the grass is being cut and the paint is peeling and, the, and ma- there isn't maintenance, which, you know, a lot of articles on foreclosures mm-hmm. uh, have, have been. Let's look at the people. So if you, if you go into some areas, uh, uh, like go to a supermarket and count up how many people are, are in the checkout line. And if there's, say, 20 people spread across the lines, well, five of those people could be, you know, uh, in foreclosure in some areas. Uh, the figures in Nevada are that I saw, and I thought this was astounding. It's basically anybody with a mortgage, any homeowner with a mortgage in the state of Nevada is underwater. So, you know, if you're driving in downtown Reno and stop at a traffic light, look around you. Every single person there who's got a mortgage is underwater. So what's the psychology? What's the stress level of everybody uh, in, a, in an entire, well, in this state, in this element, in, in an entire state where they're, they're all underwater? They're all wondering, you know, they, they, they're all recognizing that they're arguably in far worse of a situation than a tenant is. Because on top of, of having uh, their monthly mortgage payments, uh, that they're paying into something that may never recover its value or may never recover its value within their, their lifetime or their, you know, before they're, they're able to retire. 
you know, how does it impact uh, how they how they view their their own future or their children's future? So I think that's that's the critical question of, of uh, you know, let's let's look at the, the actual psychology of people being disconsiderably under debt. Mm-hmm. So the kind of desperate circumstances that people find themselves in lead to uh, desperate solutions, if you will. Well, you wonder too whether or not you know. And then there's this there's this uh, distinction that I think will fade, which is the strategic defaulter versus the uh, foreclosed upon uh, lenders, and, and uh, to a certain extent, the government has, has tried to uh, uh, you know, cast uh, cast people who have the wherewithal to continue making their monthly mortgage payments as somehow uh, uh, breaking the deal. If they decide that they they don't want to uh, you know continue with a relationship or with a you know under the terms of, of, of a mortgage that they took out to begin with, whereas someone who do, just can't manage to you know has no money to, to pay, there's there's uh, you know the person who, who is foreclosed upon uh, uh, not consciously but because there's no other choice, they're somehow in a completely different category. Mm-hmm. I think for, as as loans adjust. Uh, so what was the example? COSI, which is a uh, COSI, which is used yes. as one of the, for some of the, the uh, mortgages. It readjusted on Christmas Eve, or was it New Year's Christmas? New Year's Eve. And it had nothing to do with, with anything in our market. It basically was a backlash of uh, 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 financial, it was a financial out, uh, basically a, a uh, it was a result of bank mergers several years before. It had nothing to do even with the housing market. Well, suddenly, a, a guy would say a half-million-dollar mortgage is paying $200 a month more. Uh, you know, just just, uh, just like that. It had right. nothing to do with anything that he's done. Any, it had nothing to do with any financial decision he made earlier on. And uh, even financial professionals you know, uh, can scratch their heads in terms of how COSI is even calculated. Right. So right. I think as... Different indices are shifted, and they can really only go one direction, and that's up. The whole notion for a homeowner to say, well, you know, now I'm paying $400, $500 more on this mortgage, and I've done nothing to, to, uh, to bring this about, you know, uh, why should I pick up the tab for this, for this situation? Right. You mentioned the uh, government's uh, efforts and attitude. Um, I'm here in Washington, and the Government has rolled out uh, one program after another to try to address uh, the problems in the residential uh, home market. What do you think of the uh, administration's uh, HAMP program and the concept generally of trial modifications leading down the road perhaps to some permanent modification as an alternative to walking away? Do you think these programs are ever likely to uh, take hold and be successful? No, no. I, I, I would wish that they could be, but I think that my my impression is basically the hamp is a, is a failure. I mean, yes, its implementation has been really slow, and and uh, you know, less than a third of the homeowners who might be eligible for it have taken advantage of it. Um, but I think the real fatal flaw of the modification programs comes from from simple math. Uh, you can can uh, you know, extend the term of a loan all you want. You can, you can take all the penalties and, and past dues and, and uh, you know, massage them and so on. Uh, you know, often I, I saw one figure where the average uh, 
the average loan was modified, or the average monthly payment was reduced two to five hundred dollars, which is which can be relatively significant. But the overarching, or, or the the overarching issue for a homeowner isn't that he's, he's paying uh, two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars less per month, but uh, looking forward, as as the market does correct uh, to historical patterns, which I, I firmly believe it, it will. Uh, they'll look at it and say, well, well look, from, in order for it, at a 2% increase, a property's lost 40% of its, of its value. At 2% per year, how many years is it going to be before I'm, I'm where I was in 2007? And for someone in their 50s, you know, they could easily be well into their 70s before they, they break even. Uh, the, the mindset of your home being your retirement or providing your nest egg or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, being the best investment you would ever make, I think that whole notion is, has, has been uh, destroyed. So you know, the, the government can, can nibble away at the edges all that it, that it wants, as can, can uh, you know, private lenders. But the real crux of the issue is at what point will people say, you know, this, this doesn't make sense. You know, I will never break even. Uh, is this necessary for me to do it? And what's the downside of, of me taking corrective action for my own personal you know, financial uh, security in the future? Right. How about a uh, uh, a more muscular uh, governmental alternative here? I've uh, seen some estimates that it would cost uh, about $745 billion, roughly the size of the first bailout law to essentially right-size all the existing underwater mortgages, particularly in the, the uh, uh, left and right coasts uh, in uh, Nevada that you, uh, that you mentioned, $745 billion. Do you see any uh, political reality uh, there in an environment where, admittedly, bailouts have become wildly unpopular with the public? Yeah, I, the, the finest, uh, I, I think I found the solution. It came out in uh, December 08. Uh, it was, come, it was uh, created by a, a person named Dan Alpert at uh, Westwood Capital in, uh, in uh, New York. He basically sets out uh, a program that would have really minimal uh, uh, impact or be almost revenue neutral for the government, but would, would shift the relationship between the lender and the borrower uh, basically, if you, if you look at this entire plan, which is about, it's about six pages long, uh, I would have to agree with the New York Times, which at the time said, you know, this, is, this will solve the problem. Uh, the problem with, with Albert's uh, solution, though, is it just came out, before, it came out too early, and I think it's been, been kind of forgotten uh, by the press. What, what the plan would do is basically shift the, the relationship between the borrower and the lender. The, the lender uh, would be required, uh, if, if the borrower did satisfy certain requirements, be basically that they were underwater and didn't make any material misrepresentations at the, at the time of the origination, uh, basically would be required to take the property back at the, at the fair market value. It could be a kind of a deed in lieu uh, deal. The, Homeowner then would be would have the right to remain in the home uh, for a period of five years, paying uh, fair market value uh, rental rate mm-hmm. rates to the lender. The lender, in the meantime, could either choose to hold the loan or could sell the loan off to a, another investor. At the end of five years, the uh, 
borrower could then acquire the property at the then current fair market value, which would be uh, established by a kind of a, by a neutral third party. In the meantime, the borrower would be able to uh, deduct the rental payment in the same way that he would be he was able to deduct the mortgage interest payments that he was making. For the government, this would be a, a revenue neutral situation, uh, but for the borrower, he would still you know, have have the benefits of first you know, maintaining the the uh, you know, living, continuing to live in the home that, that he wanted to live in. Second, if you have five years to allow the economy to recover and to get his financial legs in, underneath him again. Uh, and finally, when he did make the decision to purchase the house, he'd be able to, to obtain a mortgage without having damaged credit, uh, and the mortgage would actually reflect the, the actual current value of the property and not what it was at the peak of the bubble. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's a tremendous... And what would be the effect on the lenders' portfolio values? Well, that's the problem. The lenders would would take the hit immediately, but uh, by by uh, basically face them to take the issue, you know, take take the bull by the horns, which they've been been trying to to do uh, uh, everything to basically ignore the situation. If you look at the home mortgage market, basically Freddie and Fannie hold hold the, the vast majority of first trust positions, first lien positions, uh, with with home mortgages. The banks, however, hold the overwhelming uh, majority of second lien positions. Well, given the, the position of, of of homes, you know, across the U.S., it's arguable that those second liens, you know, the second trustees have no value right. at all. Right. But in the meantime, these banks are continuing to, to keep them on their books and have been allowed to uh, continue to carry them as, as performing loans. Uh, when in fact, uh, you know, although they are performing, they are arguably totally unsecured. There's nothing backing them up anymore. Right. So I think the shift over the next several months, what you're going to see the emphasis on or that the, the real attention is going to be on second liens uh, and also uh, as these resets begin to kick in uh, between now and 2012, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see a, a, a dramatic increase of people who aren't going to be sending in their keys, but they aren't going to be sending in their mortgage payments either. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you see, states are beginning to step in to assist with this as well. So, example, for example, what was it, Arizona? Uh, legislature earlier this month uh, voted to allow or allow homeowners to stay in their homes as renters one year after foreclosure. So they basically have the right to remain. Uh, so you're going to have uh, protections that tenants enjoy in many states extended to uh, former home- homeowners. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing level where sheriffs, for example, are in what was it, Michigan, were just refusing to, to serve foreclosure documents. Correct. Right. Right. What about, uh, Richard, the uh, kind of elephant in the, in the room here? And I don't know if there's anything left to the concept of uh, moral hazard uh, after uh, bailouts and HAMP and walkaways and the like. Does it, does it even matter anymore in an era when Banks have been bailed out, and we've federalized the GSEs. Car companies are now owned by the government and bailed out by taxpayers. Giant developers walk away from bad deals. 
Is there anything left to the moral hazard of uh, of these kinds of programs? The whole concept of moral hazard is to prevent uh, is to uh, prevent situations from allowing people to gain the system in the future. Uh, it's it's not there necessarily to to. Sometimes I, I view it as if you're, you're driving on a freeway and somebody you know, uh, comes up very quickly and cut on from a, an on ramp and you know, uh, wedges himself in front of you, and you're put off for a moment, saying, "You know, this guy's just gained an advantage on me. I've been creeping along, and suddenly he's in front of me, cut me off." Well, the fact is, uh, he's going to get to his destination. You're going to get to your destination at about the same time, and a few minutes afterwards, you're going to forget that this. That this uh, terrible affront has ever occurred. Uh, so the whole notion of moral hazard, are we trying to prevent this action from, from occurring in the future? Well, how likely is this? Is it going to be to occur in the future? Uh, market conditions are such that, that the, the actions that people took in the past, say buying multiple homes, uh, placing, you know, putting very little money down, for example, or, or, or flipping homes or misrepresenting their income because they're able to uh, on, on the the loan documents that didn't really ask any questions other than their name and phone number. Uh, you know, is, is, is this even going to be an issue? And then addressing your first point, I think that as a society, uh, there's this, this collective shrug is going to occur, which was, okay, that happened in the past. Yeah, people were able to, to do this. Uh, they've, uh, they didn't pay for it as perhaps we would we would like them to pay for it, but they've moved on with their life, and, and so have, have we. Uh, I just don't see there being that huge of a, of a pressure uh, from any one source saying we should we should uh, punish these people because it's, it's not fair that they somehow cut in front of me in traffic uh, you know, uh, several years ago. All right. We're about out of time, but I want to uh, uh, close with uh, perhaps some advice uh, that you might uh, provide to borrowers uh, in the situation um, that we've talked about here. Is it simply a matter of uh, uh, defaulting, live uh, rent-free uh, as long as you can until you're physically removed while trying to keep your other payments current, uh, then, then rent uh, maybe uh, even nearby um, in a home that uh, was similarly uh, situated uh, nearby so as not to dislocate your family too much, and then try to rebuild your credit a little at a time. Is that a, is that a scenario that you could recommend to someone faced uh, with these conditions? Well, I, you, know, recommend, I, I, you don't want to recommend someone. You know, every, every situation is, is different, but... Uh, uh, I think the elements that need to really be reviewed are, um, well, the, the threshold issue is, is, is the home in a recourse or non-recourse state. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a non-recourse state, uh, you're basically, uh, that the, you, know, you, you are entitled to, you know, by law, right. to hand keys and call it, call it, you know, call it even. Right, California. State. Yeah. Right, California, okay. non-recourse, right? Is one is uh, one, and I believe they're about, I think, all told in different different forms, about 17 non-recourse states. Uh, for recourse states, then it's a matter of saying, okay, what what's the likelihood of a deficiency right. deficiency judgment being uh, pursued? Right. Uh, 
there are law firms that, that are purchasing the deficiency judgments, and that the, the uh, concern there is that they'll uh, get the judgment and file the judgment and just wait. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of like a sea monster surfacing 10 years uh, in the future, mm-hmm. reminding you of your, your obligations that you put far, far behind you. Uh, what I'm very intrigued with, though, is, is looking at the recent great positive uh, consumer, uh, not just savings uh, rates, but also consumer spending. And I've been looking at uh, just taking an example: someone's paying two to three thousand dollars a month on on their mortgage. What if they suddenly stop paying the mortgage and they're either paying down their credit card debt with this, which actually increases their credit score? Uh, what if, and what if they're taking that money and actually re-injecting it into the consumer economy? Uh, or let's say that, they, that they're that uh, they just downshifting and they are renting. So instead of paying $3,000, two or $3,000 a month in mortgage payments, they're paying $1,200 for a comparable rental house, let's say even in the same neighborhood. Well, what happens with, it, with the rest of that money every month? Uh, is, it, is it going to... Uh, Going directly into consumer goods, are they running down to Best Buy and buying you know, some more big screen TVs or going on vacation, or are they they saving it? Mm-hmm. Or even more important, they, are they suddenly is, is is are they regaining confidence in the future, having this enormous weight off of their neck? And does this then translate into every every decision that they make? So for the, the small small business owner uh, who's who's finances business. You know, with with a uh, you know, with a home line, home equity line, he's suddenly feeling so good and so confident that he's able to hire two or three more people. Uh, you know, for for his small business and and uh, you know, move forward. Is that occurring? So the focus, I think, really has to go on beyond just you know, what's the impact on the on the lenders in the immediate short term, because the lenders, I think, ultimately they will be fine. This will shake out. But I think the bigger focus has to be on the psychology of people and more especially uh, the, the uh, changed view of what a house means to a person. Mm-hmm. A house is really, it's, it's, it shouldn't be viewed as an investment. Right. And historically, it has. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's a non-productive asset. It's really more of a, a, a durable consumer good than anything else if you really look at it or at least it should be. Mm-hmm. When we look at demographics, where's the growth going to come from? Uh, uh, who's going to live in, in all these houses that perhaps reflected a way that we used to live in an earlier era, an era when we had cheap energy, for example, uh, and when driving you know, 50 miles each day to work uh, was, was considered uh, the norm. Uh, and where's the money going to come from from people, say, from you know, in their 20s and, and early 30s right now, will they be able to afford these types of houses? Houses, even if they would, even if they would want to live out in the, in the distant suburbs. Well, this is this is a uh, a topic we could uh, talk about forever, or at least as long as it takes the uh, typical foreclosure to work its way through the system. Uh, but we're out of time for today. I, I want to uh, thank very much our guest, Richard Zom, for being with us. Thanks, Richard. Great. Really enjoyed it. And we thank our audience for listening, as always. You can hear or download nearly 80 podcasts from our homepage, abi.org. And until next time, then, this is ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano saying good day.